This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for November 2018. We're looking up at the heavens after dark. What is called the Summer Triangle, the bright stars of Altair, Vega and Deneb, is now setting down towards the western horizon. Just to the west of south is the great square of Pegasus, the upturned winged horse. If you start at the top left-hand star of the square, it's actually Alpha Andromedae, or Alpharats, it's a, a way to find M31, the Andromeda galaxy. Move one star over to the left, move round slightly, rightwards, to the next bright star, then turn sharp right, 90 degrees, find one other star, and just the same distance beyond that star, you should see a little fuzzy glob. And that's the Andromeda galaxy. Now, if it's really dark and transparent, well away from towns and cities, if you work your way back from Andromeda to those two stars and carry on about the same distance, you come to the constellation of Triangulum. And there is the rather faint galaxy M33. It looks to me like a little bit of tissue paper stuck on the sky. So that's two things to look for on a dark night with perhaps binoculars. High above Andromeda is the constellation of Cassiopeia. And in fact, the V, the lower right part of the W of Cassiopeia, actually is a pointer, another way to find Andromeda. It points down quite well. And following down from Cassiopeia towards the east, you come down to the constellation of Perseus. Its bright star is called Murfak, and there's also an interesting star there called Algol, the demon star which is an eclipsing binary. And between the two, with binoculars or a small telescope, you might find the double cluster in Perseus, which is rather nice. Incidentally, I do have a blog, I call it a digest, which is linked to from the Jodrabank Night Sky page, and I've actually just put on an article about imaging the double cluster, and I think there's quite a nice picture at the end, which I got. If you come down Towards the southeastern horizon, we come to the constellation of Taurus the Bull, with a lovely open cluster, the Pleiades, and an even more open cluster, the Hyades cluster. There's a bright star, Aldebaran, in that direction. It's not part of the cluster. It's about halfway between us and the cluster. But it's a lovely region of sky, which will become more prominent, along with the constellation of Ryan, just rising down in the east as the months progress. So quite a lot to see. I hope you enjoy just using your eyes and perhaps binoculars to search the heavens. What about the planets? Well, Jupiter is now moving towards its superior conjunction that's behind the sun on November the 26th and really won't be visible this month. Now, Saturn is still visible, low in the southwest at an elevation of about 11 degrees after sunset. And that's at the beginning of November. But it disappears into the sun's glare by the end of the month. The disk has an angular size of about 15.7 arc seconds, falling to 15.2 during the month, whilst the brightness actually increases slightly from plus 0.5 to plus 0.6 magnitudes. The rings were at their widest last year, but are still quite wide and span about two and a half times the size of Saturn's globe. Saturn is now moving westwards over the teapot of Sagittarius to the left of M8, the Lagoon Nebula. Well, Mercury reaches its greatest elongation east from the Sun on November the 6th. 
But as the angle of the ecliptic to the horizon is very shallow at this time of the year, it'll be lost in the sun's glare as it moves towards its inferior conjunction, that's between us and the sun, on the 27th of the month. So not really a good month for Mercury. Well, Mars, though fading from magnitude minus 0.6 to minus 0.1, it actually becomes more prominent in the southern sky after sunset as it climbs higher in elevation from about 17 degrees at the start of the month to 27 degrees by month's end. If only it had that elevation when it was closest to us, our imaging would have been much better. Its angular size of 11.9 arc seconds as November starts falls to 9.3 arc seconds by its end. It moves from Capricornus into Aquarius on November the 11th, and with a small or medium-sized telescope, it should still just be possible to spot details such as Certis Major on its salmon pink surface. Venus passed between us and the Sun, that's inferior conjunction, on October the 26th, and can be seen from around the 8th of the month, low in the east before sunrise. In contrast to Mercury, at this time of the year, the ecliptic at dawn has a steep angle to the horizon, so it rapidly increases in elevation as November progresses. We'll have an elevation of about 20 degrees at sunrise by month's end. It brightens from minus 4.6 to a dazzling minus 4.9 magnitudes during the month, and it will then dominate the pre-dawn eastern sky. The angular size reduces from 60 down to 41 arc seconds as it moves away from the Earth. But at the same time, the percentage illuminated disk, that's called its phase, increases from 1 to 25%, which is why the brightness actually increases. Finally, what about the highlights? Well, it's still a good month to observe Neptune and Uranus with a small telescope. And on the night sky page, I give little star charts to show you where to find them. Neptune has a magnitude of plus 7.9 and a disk of just 2.3 arc seconds. And it should be possible to spot it with binoculars lying in the constellation Aquarius. It rises to about 27 degrees when due south, which is not bad. Given a telescope of 8 inches or greater and a dark, that's around the 7th of the month when it's new moon, transparent night, it should be possible to spot its moon Triton. On the night of the 30th, it will lie up to the left of Mars. If you start at Mars, move up to the left to the 3.7th magnitude star Lambda Aquarii, then go over to its left by about two-thirds of the way from Mars to that star, you should find it. Uranus reached opposition on October the 23rd, so it's visible pretty well all night. It'll be highest in the sky in the south around midnight, shining with a magnitude of 5.7 with a disk 3.7 arc seconds across. Its turquoise green colour should be seen in a small telescope and it will be easily spotted in binoculars. Well, we have two meteor showers in November. We have, in the hours before dawn, a chance to observe the meteors from two showers. The first, that doesn't produce a vast number of meteors, but some are quite bright, is the northern Taurid shower, which has a broad peak of around 10 days, and its peak is around the 10th of November. So that's something to look for early in the month. And that's just after new moon, so its light will not intrude. The meteors arise from comet 
Tupi Enka. The tail is particularly rich in large particles, and it's possible we might pass through a relatively rich band, so a number of fireballs might be observed. The better known November shower is the Leonids, and they peak on the night of the 17th, 18th of the month. The moon is just after first quarter, so before it sets, its light will hinder our view. But by the time in the hours before dawn, its light will have left the sky. As one might expect, the shower's radiant lies within the sickle of Leo, and the meteors should be spotted any time from the 15th to the 20th of the month. They enter the atmosphere at 71 kilometers per second, so they're pretty fast, actually. And uh, you never know, sometimes you get some wonderful fireballs. And a few years ago, actually out in the Atlantic near Brazil, we had a wonderful display. There's an asteroid. It's called Juno, asteroid number three. And that makes its closest approach to Earth on November the 16th, 17th, moving in the constellation of Eridanus, as shown on the chart I've provided on the night sky. On the 1st of November, looking southeast at about 11pm, you'll have an elevation of about 27 degrees and a magnitude of 7.58 and lie just above the 5.2 magnitude star 35 Eridani. And that will help to find it with binoculars. And I also give details of how on the 17th it'll be close to magnitude 4.7 star 32 Eridani. And finally, on the last day of the month, just above 22 Eridani. So there's some chances to spot an asteroid if you've never looked at one before. Just a few final things. On November the 4th, one hour after sunset, Mars is close to Delta Capricornus. So looking south-southeast after sunset, one should, if clear, be able to spot Mars less than one degree up and to the right of the third magnitude eclipsing binary star system, Deneb Algidi, a combination of Delta Capricornus and 49 Capricornus. On November the 11th, after sunset, Saturn, if clear, will be seen below a thin crescent moon. You will need a low horizon. The thin crescent moon is just four days after new. There'll be a very nice photo opportunity, I think. On November the 16th, after sunset, Mars is close to the moon. So it'll be seen to the right of the moon, which is just after first quarter. And on the 17th, before dawn, Venus will be very close, just one and a half degrees from Alpha Virginis, the star Spiker in the constellation of Virgo. Finally, a nice object on the moon is called the Alpine Valley, and two good nights to observe it are November the 16th and 29th. And that's when the Terminator is quite close. It's a cleft that cuts across the Apennine mountain chain which marks the edge of Mare Imbrium. It's about seven miles wide and 70 miles long. As shown in the image I give on the night sky page, there's a thin rill that runs along its length, which is quite a challenge to observe. Personally, I've never actually seen it. However, I have photographed it, and that photograph is also on the night sky page. Over the next two nights, following the 16th, the dark flawed crater Plato and the young crater Copernicus will come into view. This is a very interesting region of the moon. Well, good hunting. At least we have some longer nights now. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Hertina Mogoshanu with the Night Sky Where You Are. Welcome to November. 
My name is Haritina Mogoshanu and I am your storyteller from Space Place at Carter Observatory in Wellington, New Zealand. November is my favorite month of the year. The name November comes from Latin meaning the ninth and in ancient times it was the ninth month from the beginning of the year in March. Three royal stars hang across the evening sky of November, Aldebaran in Taurus, Fomalhaut in Piscis Austrinus and Antares in Scorpius. According to French astronomer Camille Flammarion, the royal stars were the ancient guardians of the sky in ancient Persia. It was believed that the sky was divided into four districts, each guarded by one of the four royal stars. My favorite of them has always been Fomalhaut, Haftorang or Hastorang, the watcher of the south. Back in the Northern Hemisphere, Fomalhaut was the southernmost significant star that I could see and we would always look at it as the secret pointer to the south. The rumors were not far off as Fomalhaut, Achenar and Canopus are almost in a straight line and if you can find Achenar, you can always find south easily. The home constellation of Formalhaut is Piscis Austrinus, south of Capricornus and Aquarius, which is maybe why one of his names was Piscis Capricorni, or Piscis Solitarius, the lonely fish. The fish drinks all the water from Aquarius's stream, as poets Virgilius and Ovidius wrote thousands of years ago in their verses, and some believed it was actually the Piscis Austrinus that was the parent of the zodiacal Pisces, the fish. Today, Falmalhaut is the eye of the southern fish, although the original Arabic Fam al-Hat name meant the mouth of the fish, and the translation inscripted in a 1340 manuscript Almanach was Piscis Meridiani, where meridional meant southern. However, just to clarify things, it seems that the Arabs called Falmalhaut the first frog. Because it's the brightest star in a part of the sky that contains mostly faint stars, it was used in navigation just like Akenar. A triple system, Falmalhaut is about 25 light years from Earth and in 2008 it became the first star with an extrasolar planet candidate, Falmalhaut b, imaged at visible wavelengths. Back in the eastern sky, this time of the year, the Pleiades are visible again. Harbingers for Halloween in the Northern Hemisphere, where skies are grey and ravens await for the first snows. For Maori, the Pleiades are now harbingers of summer. Together with the Hyades, they make the wake and the feathers from the great canoe Waka of Tamarereti. November is the month when Milky Way surrounds the horizon like an ocean and the Great Waka was used by Maori to mark the arrival of the warm season when it was safe to travel the ocean. Tamarereti's Waka placed the stars in the sky and now lies moored in the wake of the Milky Way. Scorpius is Tauihu, the prow, floating low on the western horizon. Due south sits Tepunga, the anchor, the southern cross, with its rope, Tetaura, which is represented by the pointers Beta and Alpha Centauri. The later is actually a multiple star system that holds our closest solar neighbor, the red dwarf Proxima Centauri, at 425 light years from Earth.
The sails of Tamaretis canoe are Akenar and the beautiful southern dwarf galaxies, the small and large Magellanic cloud. Canopus Atutahi, the second brightest star in the sky and circumpolar star here in New Zealand, is the paramount chief of the skies at Vigil in the Waka, a source of X-rays and the most luminous close star at 300 light years from the sun, Canopus is used for navigation by all spacecraft that employ star tracker devices, which determine the orientation or attitude of the spacecraft with respect to that star. The Taurapa, or the stern of the Waka, is in the eastern sky formed by Orion. Here in New Zealand, we can see both Scorpius and Orion in the sky in the same time, and this is the time of the year to do it. With the Milky Way laying across the horizon, there aren't so many deep sky objects handy to observe. However, we are in the southern hemisphere and the spectacular Magellanic clouds are high in the sky at this time of the year. Remember, they were the sail of the Wakao Tamarereti and this sail is now set. In my first night here in New Zealand, I printed a map of them and started looking onto the southern sky, annoyed by a cirrus cloud, I thought, only to discover to my delight that it was the large Magellanic cloud I was looking at. It is that spectacular and that substantial. The large Magellanic cloud is about 160,000 light years from us, and the small Magellanic cloud is about 200,000 light years away from us. To find them, Draw a line from the Southern Cross to Akenar. Two-thirds from the Southern Cross on each side of the line are the two galaxies. Now far apart, it seems that they collided in the past, as a paper just published in October 2018 in the Astrophysical Journal Letters supports that idea with data from the Gaia satellite. Inside, the Magellanic Clouds are amazing deep-sky objects. The large Magellanic Cloud was host galaxy to a supernova, SN1987a, the brightest observed in over four centuries, co-discovered independently by Ian Shelton and Oscar Duhalde at the Las Campanas Observatory in Chile on February 24, 1987, and within the same 24 hours by the legendary Albert Jones in New Zealand. Albert Jones was the first astronomer in the world that made 500,000 observations and he could distinguish about one twentieth of a magnitude, whereas most people can distinguish about one-tenth of magnitude changes. The Large Magellanic Cloud is home of Tarantula Nebula that gets its name from its resemblance to a huge spider. Tarantula Nebula is very luminous, so great that if it were as close to Earth as the Orion Nebula, the Tarantula Nebula would cast visible shadows. Just in case you were wondering, Orion Nebula is about 1,500 light-years away from Earth. Tarantula Nebula is in fact the most active starburst region known in the local group of galaxies. The small Magellanic Cloud is on the other side of the imaginary line that goes from Akenar to the Southern Cross. Recent research suggests a giant piece broke off the small Magellanic Cloud in the southeastern part of the galaxy, which goes toward the large Magellanic Cloud at a speed of 64 kilometers per second. So, in fact, the small Magellanic Cloud may be split in two. 
with the smaller section of the galaxy behind the main part as seen from Earth's perspective and separated by about 30,000 light years. The reason for this might be due to a past interaction with the large Magellanic Cloud splitting the small Magellanic Cloud and again it is believed now that the two sections are still moving apart. The smaller remnant of the small Magellanic Cloud is now called the Mini Magellanic Cloud, a mini-me of a galaxy. About 15 times closer than the small Magellanic Cloud but on the same line of sight is my favorite star cluster 47 Tucane, the most beautiful globular cluster that has ever been and rival of Omega Centauri. To the north, the great horse of Pegasus is flying high through the sky. Andromeda is in the sky as well and if we could only see it from Wellington, what a sight would have been. But even if we did, would it be like a little smidge since it's very close to the horizon. On the planetary realm, at the beginning of the month, Jupiter and Mercury will be low in the west at dusk, setting towards the southwest one and a half hours after the sun. Orange Mars is in Capricornus, north of overhead at dusk. Midway between Mars and Jupiter is Saturn in Sagittarius. Jupiter sets earlier each night as we move to the far side of the sun from it. By mid-month, it is lost in the twilight. Mercury holds its position in the west before disappearing late in November when it passes between us and the sun. A thin crescent moon will be near Mercury and Jupiter on the 9th. At the end of the month, Saturn and Mars are the only naked eye planets in the evening sky. The moon will be near Saturn on the 11th and 12th and close to Mars on the 16th. Venus rises a little south of east 50 minutes before the sun at the beginning of the month more than one and a half hours before sunrise at the end. It is a long, thin crescent in a telescope and big binoculars. The month starts with the moon at last quarter, then new moon is on the 8th, followed by first quarter on 16th of November and full moon on the 23rd. And with this, I wish you a great November, good night and clear skies from Space Place at Carter Observatory here in Wellington, New Zealand. <laughs>